G3 Assistance through Virginia's community colleges is your pathway to a new future, helping those who qualify pay for school and train for the right career, right where you are, right now. Learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3. Coming up, it's been five years since the beginning of WWE's Women's Revolution, and this week's guest played a huge role in paving the way for it. Lita joins us as ATB starts now. Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves. Big, big show for you today. I got another Hall of Fame guest. I mean, if that's not exciting in and of itself, she's also a very close friend of mine whom I haven't had a chance to catch up with in quite some time. So I'm anxious to have this conversation. It should be fun. Please welcome my very, very special guest, WWE Hall of Famer, Lita. First off, I want to thank you for enduring my producers and I redecorating your home to provide an acceptable backdrop for uh, the three seconds of video that will see the light of day from this podcast. <laughs> we can, you can do a Zoom, no, not a Zoom that we're on, but like a Zoom and get your, um, figure out what records you need to buy for your collection. Don't give, don't give the internet any ideas because someone will take you up on that and go, oh, it's I know true. you have this Cramps album. I have the yes. alternate version and it'll become a giant pissing contest about who has a better vinyl collection. And then I'll pull mine out and be like, but mine's on marbled vinyl, so take that. And then we also discussed that uh, it, it was an opportunity and a reason for both of us to climb out of bed and put ourselves together, which these days become uh, increasingly rare throughout pandemic times. And uh, so thank you for joining me and putting yourself together. Yeah, you, you got a, my coffee cups wearing my lip gloss better, I think, right now. But I, it was the effort that counts. For you and I appreciate it. Very, very much. <laughs> very much appreciate it. Which begs the question, what are you uh, what are you doing to keep yourself occupied during these strange times we're living in? Apparently I'm a gardener now. This is, this is a new thing, but it, it's like a, to have a place to go, right? Otherwise you just burn out. Already did the entire series of Bosch. Like it was only June before we finished that. And, you know, it's like you run through your Netflix and all of that stuff and gave me a place to go. I started going to the garden, been going surfing a lot. If I'm going to leave the house, but yeah, I just kind of walk out the back door and hang out in the garden for the day most days. There you go. I, I've not yet tackled too much outdoorsy activity. I did buy a bicycle, however, and that has occupied a great deal of my time. I'm quite the It's avid. the thought that counts. Yeah. Well, or, I mean, you, I, or you're using it. Too. I'm riding it. Not only do I okay. own it, I also ride it, uh, which is which is new new territory for me, and I'm enjoying greatly. Here's my new territory. We bought tennis rackets, and then by the time they arrived, the courts had shut down. But now the courts are back open. So if you live in San Francisco and balls are just flying over the fence at you, I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) It's not so much tennis as there are balls and rackets involved. And it sounds to me like the equivalent of going to the driving range with golf clubs where you just hit the ball as far as you can for your own enjoyment. And that's really about it. It's like my control is lacking. So then it's like I'll do an under to correct and then it goes into the net. I'm like, oh, I guess I need to hit it harder. And then it just goes over the fence. I'm like, (laughs) okay. So, uh, yeah, that's that's my new activity is I'm a tennis player now, but not a tennis player at all. Well, that's good. You got to have goals. You got to have something new to tackle. I'm curious. I was thinking that I knew we were going to talk today and we haven't seen each other since what last time we were out in the West Coast after the Saudi trip, which was 17 hours. And we randomly decided to come to San Francisco for a day. Yes. 
it was it was quite a time from what I recall. Uh, <laughs> we that was fun. I ended up back at that same bar we were at, and there was like a swing band playing, and it, I thought of hanging out with you and Renee and crew. It was quite a time back when we yes. were allowed to explore the world and see our friends yeah. that didn't live in our immediate sites, uh, which I miss those days. So hopefully sometime soon we will find ourselves back out there. Uh, but I, I was wondering when I knew we were going to chat uh, because I knew you had texted me last week that you got into gardening and various other aspects of life. And it occurred to me that WWE is not a job. WWE is a lifestyle. And yes. you know this as well as anybody. It's all encompassing, all consuming. And for the last several years, I mean, you've popped in and out for, for short periods of time and made your appearances here and there. What's that adjustment like for you to go from this all encompassing lifestyle in this business, which you've spent the majority of your adult life to mm -hmm. now having free time and trying to figure things out? Yeah. So let's put aside all of the bad things that this time is doing to very many sure. people. Cause I don't sure. want to be bragging about how nice my daily life can be. Amongst of course, of course <laughs> we, we have plenty of time to talk about the other negative aspects well. yes. of our, of our quarantine lifestyle. But so um, I've always romanticized about having a routine and just having this life that is in my community and I'm in the same space all the time. Yet with that romanticizing, I've never taken the steps to make that remotely my life. Right. But, you know, I'm like, oh, it must be really nice to wake up in the same place every day and have a routine and you have groceries in your refrigerator and you just kind of cook. And that, I bet that's really great. So I've had that. And that aspect of it, it's, it's really novel to me. So it doesn't feel boring. I'm just like, okay, time to get up and make all the food in your refrigerator uh, and be a person and use your own coffee machine and all those things mm -hmm. that when you're working within the confines of this world, it becomes two or three days of that. And then it's like, to me, I got to get back on the road. I got to go do something. I need to be mm -hmm. doing, I could be being productive with wrestling business, not life business. Well, even like sideways to that is even if I am home, there's, my friend's bands are playing that I want to go see. Uh, there's an art opening happening. There's like stuff. And you know how it is when you go, you're like, oh, do I really feel like going? Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you drag your feet. And then once you're out, you're, you're like glad, glad that you went. So I have no FOMO. I'm not missing out on anything. So there's not like, well, should I go to this thing or should you not? It's like, no, you should not is already the answer. So just get to your garden or get in the wide open ocean and, and um, just do your thing until you huck some balls over the fence and then go make dinner. That, that sounds like a great routine. It, it sounds very, very interesting in, in its simplicity. Yeah. Like I said, I, I got a bike and I've gotten into the sort of quarantine routine, but it really doesn't consist of much. It's the, the, maybe a bike ride and then either making dinner or ordering takeout to, you know, because I'm lazy yeah. and longing for the next thing. I do feel like a slight amount of guilt that I should have more to show for my time. But there is this kind of like, we don't know what's going on. In the, like take it day by day. And I think to not get overwhelmed with this unprecedented time, it is take it day by day. And also like set your goals low so that it's like, look, just, just chill and don't freak out. Yeah. So like do whatever it takes to just not freak out and stay healthy and get your rest and take care of yourself. If I do one productive thing each day, I feel like I might as well be the CEO of some fortune 500 company. Like I lost my social security card 
last week. I lost it some uh, in moving or I lost it some time ago, but I had to track down how to find and get a new one, which to me was the most adult thing I have done in probably the last 20 years. Uh, and I felt very, very good about it. So I, I filed the paperwork and I sent the thing in the mail. I physically went to the post office and mailed this thing out. And I was done by about 10 a.m. And I was like, I should probably celebrate. I can do whatever I want for the rest of the day because I did that one menial thing. But that was what gets me through these days, as you can a test. I should track down a tennis racket. You should. I, I, I recommend because really, we'll also if the courts are full, we'll just look for a wall to to, to bang them against. It's kind there you of go. I, it's a little more of an aggro pastime than one would think. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm like bringing it back to the John McEnroe days. Yeah, <laughs> you cannot be serious. <laughs> So I, I do want to talk about the the world in which you excelled, uh, that being wrestling slash sports entertainment, because we're celebrating the five-year anniversary of the women's revolution in WWE, which you had a big hand in, more so in the earlier days. Before it had a name, right? Yeah, before it had a name, exactly. Blazing the trail. So I, let's let's jump back into the, the one that stands out to me, obviously, and you get plenty of recognition for it, was you and Trish Stratus main eventing Raw. You, you being the first two women to ever have that honor. All these years later, that's still sort of a, a landmark for women in this business. How does it hold up to you when you look back on that moment? So it's so crazy now being able to see where we went. I can see how it is a wrong, you know, on that ladder. But at the time, I didn't feel how important that was to the future of women's wrestling. And I hadn't watched it in a long time. And I think it was after Evolution, sometime around there, uh, we did a thing for .com, Trish and I did, and we watched the match and had commentary over it. And I hate watching myself. Like I, Unless I was trying a new move in my day to make sure it looked the way I thought it looked in my head, I wouldn't watch myself because I was like, I'll never walk through the curtain again if I watch myself I, <laughs> because I'll be too self-conscious. I'll be, you look stupid there. You did that. You did that. So I just kind of made a rule of not watching myself. But I watched that match back and I, I kind of had to, I was like, it holds up. I still felt proud of it and especially watching it with Trish and we were going through, you know, doing our own commentary on it, um, almost watching it as spectators, even though we were in it not remembering kind of how it went down. I, I'm into it. I'm, I'm, I'm still, I still, I feel proud of that. I could, I watched it without being able to cringe, which is saying so much. Right. Uh, so many people are their own worst critics in, in this business. I'd say, I would say that's more the norm than the exception as far as like the in-ring thing. A lot, a lot of people, I know I was in the same way. I, I couldn't watch anything that I did. I still don't watch anything I do back. Uh, when, when you look back uh, at that matchup at that time, was there an aspiration for you and Trish and the other women to have a larger role or was it just kind of business as usual at the time? What I love seeing now is the rise in women supporting women, like the whole locker room cheering each other on and seeing that a good match for two women is a good match for the entire locker room and for other opportunities. I feel like for me and for Trish at the time, it was like more of a like fend for yourself. Cool. We've got this spot, but we're in this spot under the boys rules. So we got to fend for ourselves and hope that we just continue to get these opportunities and forge this path for ourselves, hoping that other people could join, join in. But we're like, we got to keep our head down and go because we're getting this like tiny little light coming through the door that we got to try to just, we can't kick it in because then we're going to get smacked back. 
So we got to kind of just keep like creaking that door open to, to let people come in. So fast forward all these years and now women main eventing, everything is commonplace. Pay-per-views, sure. WrestleMania for the first time. Uh, when you look back at the role that you and all the women of your generation played, what does it feel like seeing the, the end result, even if that wasn't the goal at the time? Oh, it's it's so rad. And it's it is, I love now, as big as the moments were that were the firsts, it's cool that we're running out of firsts. And that's that's like where you've made real progress, where it's not like the girls match. It's just like, who are the matches on the card tonight? Who am I stoked to see on the card tonight? Not like defined by gender. Are there ever any points that you, you look and see the climate now where you kind of go, oh man, maybe I'm getting the itch again, or I wish this was the climate when... Do you, do you ever have any sort of, I don't know if envy is the right word, but do you look at it and kind of go, man, I wish I could have been a, a bigger part of how this is rolling now? Yeah, for sure. Like when I saw that first, uh, like money in the bank match, elimination chamber, like these things that, you know, a woman could go nowhere near. It wasn't even like if somebody would have thrown that into the pitch meeting, they, they, like it would have been like a record scratching, you know, yeah. going to seeing it happen. I don't know exactly what that word is, if it's envy or what, but I'm like, oh, like there is like a part of the like first, I'm like, no way, this is so cool. I can't believe, and I still go back to my, I'm like, I can't believe these girls, these girls are getting to do this, you know, because it's like, it was so ingrained for me for so long to be like, shut up. You're lucky that you're getting to do this, you know, this, have this opportunity. So you better like it and play ball and do your bra and panty matches when we ask you to do those so that you'll keep getting to get thrown through a table occasionally. Right. <laughs> now, what would you personally credit your, your ability to survive and excel in this industry as long as you did? That, to me, is one of the most important things that gets overlooked was your tenure. You didn't have a good year. I mean, you, you were here and, and all over the world. What is it about yourself that you credit to your success in, in sports entertainment? The biggest thing that I would hear from fans around the world, which I do think was maybe missing at the time, was, and you just look like I'd be friends with you. I just want to hang out with you. And so I think that the idea of a superstar is larger than life and not attainable and just like so ripped and so not believable. And that's what does make it cool to watch the superhero in the ring. But they're like, to look like I could go to high school with them or college or, you know, like be a friend of theirs felt relatable to them. And so I think that, that, and then, you know, like during team extreme, it's like, we just, it's like, cool. That's so cool. There's just like these friends hanging out, getting to do this cool thing. And yeah. so I think wa- watching those and being so attached to the characters and then, you know, to betray everything you ever thought that, and then to go with the e- most evil person to go with edge. And then so to have a whole new, character and a whole new leash on life with with a totally different character i think switch that up as well right you had definitely had the ability to sort of reinvent yourself over and over mm-hmm. again and speaking of the, the names that you just you just mentioned you got jeff hardy who just recently mm-hmm. returned again edge after nine years out of the ring is yeah. back what goes through your mind when you see your contemporaries still going at, at a high level I was actually just talking with Edge the other day. I was like, hold on now, like what what's happening? Because I was there when he was told he could never wrestle again, you yeah. know, and then to be able to be back in it in a slightly reduced schedule. And uh, but still, when it's time to go, they're going, you yeah. know, and 
I love seeing that. I think it's, I think it's cool. Uh, and I think it's kind of to span the gap and of the generation of that, that attitude era that is just so iconic. And then to be able to adapt and um, evolve and then to be in this new chapter with like the most talented people that we've ever had in the locker room right now. It's just like the talent pool is so deep. It's, it's cool. It's cool to see people being able to interact with like people that were saw Jeff and an edge on TV and that's what made them want to wrestle. And then here they are getting to be in the ring with them is, is pretty amazing. Yeah, it definitely is. And it happens a lot. There's a lot of guys that will be very open and honest about, you know, the Hardys inspiring them. I mean, some top level guys that, that mm-hmm. are just as excited to have them on the roster as they were to watch them on television. It's it's pretty surreal. Yeah. So talk talk to me a little bit about your beginnings, and we're talking about obviously your long long lasting impact on the business and, and your where you've put your your fingerprints. How did it come to be? Talk to me about the the genesis of Lita entering the business and and climbing the ladder to get to WWE to begin with. When I first saw wrestling, well, when I first connected with wrestling, quickly, I was like, man, they have the coolest job in the world. But I, that's the way I first saw it because I didn't grow up with it. So it, it was like from that moment, every time I would watch it, I would watch it as I was taking apart every match. Why were they doing everything on the, you know, why, how are they, how are they how are they getting this cool job and how can I get this cool job? Um, and so playing in bands and I was taking judo at the time and I was like, Oh, it's like I could take judo and play in a band, but for my job and it would be called <laughs> professional wrestling. And so I just really said it was, it was tunnel vision from there, you know? And so I was exposed to it later in life, not till my like early twenties that I even can see or connect with wrestling. And then I was, I was like, Oh, I've been missing out. And so I need to make up for some lost time and figure out how to do this. And then from that moment on, it was almost like on, you know, career day when you're in elementary school and they're like, tell you all the paths that you could be, you know, and it was like that, like people are like, Oh, so how's it going? Just I'm like, Oh, did you hear? I'm going to be a wrestler. Like, like I just had to say it out loud as to as many people that would listen a with like some total, like from a place of naivety, you know, just right. not really knowing what I was saying, but also I, I, do like to hold myself accountable. So if I say it out loud, I'm not going to run back into you and have you go. So whatever happened with that wrestling thing? And then I go, um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't, I don't know. So I have to go at least like, I'm trying. Like, yeah. So, so yeah, that, that was it. And, um, because I was inspired by the Lucha Libre style it was right when Rey Mysterio was getting a ton of steam and getting to, they had introduced like the luchadors in WCW and then Rey Mysterio was really branching out and he was facing Kevin Nash. And I mean, I just mm-hmm. remember being so like losing that dissection of how it's done to be like, Oh my God, he's so little. No, don't do that to him. Oh, he's so mean. I'm like, Oh, this is yet another aspect of why it's so great because I just got pulled in. And so, um, yeah, again, just kind of throwing a dart went down to Mexico because that's where the guys that I liked were from. And I didn't know there were wrestling schools and I didn't know how to do it any other way. So just kind of on a prayer, you were like, I'm going to go to Mexico and become a luchador. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's so insane. People all ask me, like, how did you do this? I was like, it's a great story. I do not recommend it <laughs> now. <laughs> The cautionary Yelp tale. Review, yeah. Yelp review your wrestling, local wrestling school and find something there. So, so what was it like once you finally got your foot in the door in Mexico? I mean, how, how did you 
how did you even achieve that to go to a completely different country and just find your way into this culture? Like, I can't tell the story without smiling because it makes me so happy. Not only was it such a great time, it's so like as an adult that realizes how um, dangerous potentially what I did, I'm just like, and I was, I'm like, I was walking, there's pianos falling behind me, and, you know, that I didn't even know because I was just going to go for it and do it. So I literally, I bought a, I found a hotel for a couple of days. It was $10 a night, but I thought I could do better than that. So I was like, I'll just book it for a few days and then see if I can find something cheaper when I get there. And I was told Legion Labor is huge there. It's bigger than American football. It's just everywhere. Like, so I was like, well, I don't need to figure out where it is. I'm just going to, the first person on the street is going to know where it is. So I literally walked the streets asking where the Lucha Libre was um, because I knew how to say that. And, uh, <laughs> and it, it's very popular there, but I wouldn't say you can, you know, if you just uh, start asking strangers walking down the street that they're just like, oh yeah, totally. Like, let me show you where it is. Or <laughs> Down at the stop sign, make a left, you'll find it. Yeah. So finding it was, was its own thing. And once I found it, I didn't realize how much I would have stuck out, stuck out there. It's, it was a very, you know, like rowdy working class uh, fan base that, that was there, mainly men. And so there's a white girl who bought a front row ticket from and made a scalper's day by paying $10 uh, to get a, you know, to sit in the front row. I think I was sitting down 10 minutes before the director of press comes over speaking English, which was the first time I'd heard it English since I was there going, what are you doing here? And how can we help you? And this, and I was like, like, how would they possibly know that I aren't, I'm not here all the time. Like, yeah, you know? yeah. And, and so I was like, yeah, if you could just tell me how do you, uh, where the subway is, because I spent all my money on a ticket to, to, you know, on the, the seat. So I only have enough money for the subway. I don't have enough money for a cab. And he was like, you know, like I'll, I'll take you, I'll drop you home. But like, and also, are you, aren't you like married to a wrestler? They're like, this has to just be like one of the wrestler's wives or something yeah, like yeah. that. And, um, but he had a badge on. So I was like, this guy's official. He can take me home. He has a badge. <laughs> so it's sure. I could, I could save the money. Great. Uh, and then, uh, I was taking judo down there. I found out my uh, friend was, was, from Cuba and he had emailed some other dojo and found a dojo for me to go to there. So on the days there weren't Lucha Libre, I was going to judo practice. And then this guy, Enrique, who with the badge, the director of press would come by and pick me up three times a week for all, all of the matches. And they, they still just didn't get it, but they're, they're like, her story is not changing. She just keeps saying she wants to be a wrestler. Like they're like, we're waiting for the, the punchline. Like, you were basically like Arya in Game of Thrones, standing in front <laughs> of the, the temple or with the, the, the man has, a girl has no name. Yeah. You just stood there despite them hitting you with sticks and throwing you into mm -hmm. the water. And you just ended up a luchador. This is amazing. This is as much, I've been looking for a shorter way to tell this story. Okay. Well, there you, you just found the answer. <laughs> Finally, they believed me and said, okay, she's not changing her mind. She's not like, she doesn't know any of the wrestlers. She just keeps coming and leaving at the end of the night. And so um, Paco Alonso, who was head of CMLL, yes. which is, you know, a big organization down in Mexico, and said, okay, if you come back, I'll set you up with training. And they have a training, like a school in the basement of Arena Mexico. 
And so I was out of money around that time. So I had to go home, save back up, and then started officially my training down there. That's awesome. At which time, at which time, like one of the foreigners who would be like, uh, like either Canada, US, or Puerto Rico, they're like, you know, there's like wrestling schools probably within like an hour or so from your house. So I was like, <laughs> sure, sure, don't, don't do that at all. Actually. <laughs> News to me, and I'm already here. So, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh my god. So, so obviously you go through your training and uh, get, do you get the okay? Do you get the, the trainer's approval to be sent out into the world? Did you, did you do any wrestling in CMLL before you came back to the States? No, I did two ballet appearances and I just basically, I just got initiated like the first, the first day. So there, I was supposed to train with the women there. They told me, come, come by on this day and you can, the women have practice then. And then I don't know if it's true, but I heard the women heard there was a girl that wanted to train. And so they decided not to show up that day. Um, they got to protect their spots. They were very limited at the time. And these three foreigners who are uh, English speakers, it was uh, the Bariquas, who was Ricky Santana, Miguel Perez. Okay. Miguel Perez was in, yeah. They were yeah. the Bariquas, yeah, Bariquas, WWE, yeah, yeah, briefly, yeah. And Fidel Sierra, Sierra and, right. yeah, and um, Kevin Quinn, who did a like a five minute stint with Too Cool back in the okay. day. But so they were they were coming to pick up their paycheck and just like again, I was just like sitting on the step outside, like, like why the long face, kid? And I'm like, oh, I just I thought I was going to get to train today, but nobody's here. And they're like, oh, you want we can beat you up? Do you want us to throw you yeah. around? That's easy. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'd sure do. And like they were safe. I'm not trying. I'm, I'm not like, you know, they did not abuse me, but they made sure I, I was going to be cut out for this. Sure. Um, and I was very proud of my bruises, you know, that I took pictures of afterwards and then did a lot of, of rope running, too. And they just had garden hose tied around things. So, it was oh, like, yeah. you know, you'd have the, the, the line from your hip you know. to your armpit is just. Yes. All, you know, yeah. And they're like, hit it harder. And you're just like, oh, my God. But now I know what it feels like. It's like your, your brain's having to, like, force your body to do a thing that's like. I mean, even just the act of taking a flat back bump, your brain's like, you shouldn't do that. And your body's like, (laughs) yeah. Dozens of times every night you are breaking the laws of your, of your human anatomy. just going, no, 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 you're not supposed to end up that way, but no, no, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to make it look cool. Yeah. So, so they just, they kind of just uh, initiated me and show me some basics. And then at the, the end, when I was leaving, they were like, here's some numbers, some places that you could go train. Kevin Quinn was teaming with Christopher Daniels and they were wrestling at a, an NWA Cherry Hill event. And so they said they let me ballet from there. And from there, I started my process of if anybody will look in your general direction, ask them any, like have your question loaded and ask them, you know, do you know where's the next wrestling event? How would you do this better? How can I do this? How could, you know, and just... Anywhere, even if I wasn't booked, I would just show up to any, um, can I help you put up the ring? Can I just watch? Can I do, you know, and inevitably I'd land myself as a ref or as a valet or get to have a match. And, and it was just like, if there's a $20 bill eight hours from here, I'd go over there and get it. You know? Paying your dues uh, in every sense of the word. Let me ask you though, to, to the story you've told, and that echoes the tales of so many, almost a who's who that have really made major waves in the business and had the most success. They all have these crazy stories of paying their dues and building their respect. Well, for the most part, nowadays, at least this is in my experience, 
with the performance center and, and the way that training happens now, it's obviously safer, physically speaking. It's, it's much better for everybody. But do you think that experience is missing and that passion? Do you think, because to me, it sort of enhances your passion. If you go through hell, you're going to go through it until you get to the top of the mountain. Yeah. Whereas if you enter somewhere in the middle of the road, you're a little less inclined to go through hell to get where you need to be. Yeah. I mean, same as like if you have a scholarship to college, you still get the same education. That, but like if you had to work two jobs and, and make your sure, way through Sure, exactly. It. And it's also the same as like, I don't think like as much pain as all of our bad experiences in life, whatever people's paths are, like you'd probably go, do you want this to happen to you or do you not? You go, no, I could do without that happening to me yet. It makes you, it builds character, makes you a stronger person. And when you come out on the other side, you're able to have learned from it and have perspective. So that, yeah, I think it's missing. Right, right. I just basically have my theories and I like to have people that back me up on them. So thank you. <laughs> I back you up. Back you up. <laughs> One of the rare ones. Uh, so, okay. So now you're, you're doing the independence or doing anything you can. And yeah. you, I recall watching on television, I used to stay up on Friday nights till about midnight or 1am to watch ECW on the local channel. And yeah. this girl by the name of Miss Congeniality appears. Little did I know <laughs> all these years later, I would be zoom calling her. How, how did that all yeah. come to be? Pretty much the same way. I lived like eight hours from where I was going to be. I heard that they worked out in the ring before their shows. So I drove with a girl that I would wrestle with, uh, Lexi Fife. We would, you know, kind of okay. do the indie circuit and we drove down there and sat up against the the door we thought they were going to start to bring the ring in whenever somebody got there because nobody was there yet. And we just, you know, and stood there, waited as the van pulls up. We're like, do you need any help taking the ring in? Hoping, you know, we're like inch by inch, you know, and then they're like, we help take the ring. Cool. Do you need any help setting it up? Do you think we could watch your practice? You know, do you think we might be able to touch the ring? Do you think we could get in it? You know, and then before you know it, we were in there. Some of the guys were from Mexico were there that I saw, you know, when so I was in Mexico. Faces. Okay. And then next thing you know, I was doing like a, a springboard moon solid and, and like in the corner over just with the Mexicans and, and dreamer pulls me over and I just see his finger. He's like, and I was like, mm, I was taking up too much of the ring. I like, shouldn't have been doing what I was doing. I'm in trouble. Just yeah. take your lashing and apologize, you know? And he was like, put together a five minute match with that girl. You just came through. Do you want to try out, you know, or we're going to gonna have a tryout. And I was like, all right. Uh, had the match. And he was like, we want you on the show tonight and come join the circus. And so I did. And the lesson to be learned from that anecdote is always have your gear with you. Aspiring <laughs> wrestlers. That was, the, that was one of the first rules I think everybody learns, but now it's like, you don't even check your bags. So, okay. It's the ECW thing. You're there for basically a cup of coffee. Yes. And next thing you know, again, my my brain recalls S.A. Rios, mm -hmm. who I had seen some tapes of because I was a wrestling nerd. Aguila. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Aguila. But now he's in WWE. He's S.A. Rios. And Lita is at his side. Talk about your early days in WWE. Dude, I, when I, he was in Mexico at CMLL when I was going to shows. And he was my favorite. Like my favorite, you know, the biggest names there were like uh, Negro Casas, Santo, uh, you know, mm -hmm. like Ijo del Santo, Ijo del Santo. And, you know, like Riley Jalisco and, and, but, but Aguila was like below that, like he's maybe like mid, mid card, upper mid card, but he was my 
100%. He was cool, man. He just, yeah. <laughs> he was, and when they told me they were going to pair me with, with him, I mean, you couldn't have told if they were like, we're going to pair you with Stone Cold. I'd be like, but how about Mr. Aguilar over there? You know, like that's how like, I was. So I couldn't have been more stoked. And we got started on uh, by accident because somebody, because Christian, they were going to have Christian go up against Gilbert, who had had the light heavyweight title mm-hmm. for, you know, forever doing his shtick. And then they decided to do something else with the brood that night. And they're like, all right, kids, you guys are up. And that's all we knew. And so just getting that last minute start on heat with Mr. Aguila was, you know, debuting in the main event was Stone Cold, you know, to me. I was like, yeah. I've made it. I've made it. I'm with Mr. Aguila. We were on Sunday Night Heat. And, and it, was, it was so cool because I felt like he really helped inspire me when I was down in Mexico. And he never really learned how to speak English very well. And my time down in Mexico helped me to be, I like my Spanish is ugly, but I can communicate well. I can get yeah. my point across. And so helping with the matches, just being a physical translator for him and being able to feel like I could in any way contribute to him. He already had the ability. It was like a t- tiny, tiny bit of payback for, for being able to, for being so inspired by him. If you've never been to the Maryland Renaissance Festival, you don't know what you're missing. There's so much to see and do. It's like a 16th century theme park with shops and pubs, food and games, live jousting, crafts and music, 10 stages with nonstop entertainment, fun for the whole family. Saturday, Sundays, and Labor Day Monday through October 24th. For tickets, visit MarylandRenaissanceFestival.com. Save big on admission through September 12th. Near Annapolis, the Maryland Renaissance Festival. Time travel to fun. What, if anything, during your tenure in WWE was something that almost happened or you were really pushing for or you wanted to happen and maybe never saw the light of day? Everybody has a few of those. Oh, man. I think you become such uh, well, okay. So this is the one thing that sticks out. Actually, I was going to say you, you adapt to things changing and going, don't get excited until you walk through the curtain and you're doing it. And, and right. said, if you heard a rumbling that something might happen, you're like, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. At least that's how I had to cope with it because yeah, yeah. so when it didn't happen I wasn't like devastated and like forget it I don't want to do this anymore but when I first when China was transitioning uh, from working with only men to starting to work with women she went first through ivory and the right to censor into a program with me and we had one pay-per-view match together and it was supposed to be a three pay-per-view program so intentionally on that first match that we had, it was solid. It was okay. But we wanted to give that the people just enough to go, oh, there's something here. We want to see more. And we held back knowing, thinking we were going to have um, two more matches. But then she ended up not working there after like, you know, that was the end of her time at WWE. Oh, okay. So we didn't get those. Um, we didn't get our program. Right so I, I wish. And I've been told this advice before any opportunity you have like make the most act like it's your last match every night you know and had i done that we we would have had a much more memorable match you made a perfect segue for me referring to china and the intergender competition you used Mm -hmm. to do the spots pretty frequently whether it be with team extreme or even sa rios what are your personal thoughts on intergender matches because we're seeing them pop up on the independence here and there mm-hmm. and some companies are, are sort of dipping their toes in the water. Is that something you a would enjoy seeing or B think is, is a feasible addition to our business? So 
while the stuff that I did intergender, it was done very like opportunistically, like when someone's back was turned or duck and weave. So as far as like the toe to toe, like trading punches with somebody, I, I don't need to see that in intergender wise. But you know, when some of these girls now they're so athletic and have some muscle on them and some of the guys, if they're, you know, smaller and, and it's like, yeah, when it looks like a more evenly matched competition or when it's done in a way where it's like duck and weave and it's like, the cat, cat and mouse game. Yeah. Nailed that perfectly. I was just curious what your thoughts were on that. Just because I've been seeing a lot of it and people weigh in pros and cons and they like this, they don't like that. I just think it has to be done smarter. And it's like thinking, it's like, don't position it just like, don't open the same way you would on every other match. Like use these different circumstances to your advantage because and add, like maximize that extra layer and, and dynamic that you've put in on that match. You know, like Spike Dudley and I had a match but we're, he, I probably outweighed him. So, you know, mm-hmm. it was feasible that we could go toe to toe just due to our stature. But when I was in there with Prince Albert, you know, uh, <laughs> I would <laughs> slide between his legs and somebody else would knock him and then I'd hit the rod on him or something like that. It wasn't enough for Lita to succeed at the highest level in sports entertainment. You took a bit of a sabbatical, went away for a while, and then decided, oh, I'm going to chase another rock star dream, which is also kind of insane. It's hard enough to be a rock star or a WWE superstar. You decided, well, I did one, I might as well go try the other. And you and I, as, as often as we've hung out and chatted, I've never really talked to you about your band and what that whole period of your life was like. So I'm curious. The, uh, the Luchagors, how did that come to be? And just tell me about that whole experience. So besides professional wrestling, being in a band is the only other thing that I had wanted to do. I can relate because I <laughs> always wanted to be in a band, but have zero musical talent. So I was like, well, being a wrestler is kind of the closest thing. Well, and then also, you know, we have listened to some of the similar music like that. The punk rock roots is the very like you can do it. If you've got something to say, just grab, grab some, you know, figure it out along the way, right. which is very, you know, like that DIY spirit, which is like, that's working on the Indies is what that is, you yeah. know? Yeah. And God, I mean, listening to the bands that I grew up with, I, I was really influenced by like the Lookout Records, East Bay, Gilman, punk rock scene. And those guys, you know, worked at pizza parlors and then played in bands in, at night and, and used their like there's a band Crimpshine and they toured in a Pinto famously. So their gear and the band in a Pinto across the country, no business with that car, even making it. And they did it. And so I'm like, these are my favorite bands. They can do this. I, I can do whatever I want. You know, they, they're doing it. And so um, definitely with WWE showing like that you can keep making new goals and, and passing them and, and yeah. just live this crazy lifestyle. I was like, I can't not know like, what if, what would, like, what if I had not, you know, what would happen if I was in a, a band? And so it was, I kind of transitioned that when I knew I was retiring and was playing a little bit, just um, practice space and stuff. Because I was like, I wanted that to be the next thing. I'm happy to fall on my face doing that. I just want to see what it was, what it would be like. And it was a nice transition because the band, like you, the four of you are making the decisions together for the sake, we'd always say for the good of the pirate ship, comma, like let's drive on tonight or let's not take this gig or let, you know, cause it, it's like, you're all working for the same goal. Whereas in WWE, you're, you can be friends with people and you, but you're working for your pirate ship on your, right. you know, you're like, the captain now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was, 
That was cool. It was, so the, the band is like a, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? You learn all your lessons from your mistakes and, and I'm very like, oh, I can give great advice, but I'm not going to like, yeah. <laughs> I, can give, I can give that advice because I've made those mistakes and I've done the thing, done those things, right? Yeah. I don't know how I would have done this band different, but it was not that much fun because I was so, I needed a, a, a hard left after retiring from wrestling of a change of pace. But I was, I'm Lita, right? Like I'm Lita today. I was Lita the day after I retired and I didn't know how to navigate that. I was like, okay, wash my hands of that, ready to move on to this next thing. And my band, who are my friends, you know, got to be my band. But then I was just met by fans with duffel bags full of merch for me to sign that had no interest in staying for my set. And, you know, and and I was like, oh, this is a, Bummer, you know, like I, I should I have been like in low straight jackets and worn a mask, yeah, with the, the face, mask right? Yeah. You know, like my favorite time I had touring, I w- we did a week with um, the Unseen and a Willem Scream, and okay. we jumped, we jumped on last minute, so we were not on any flyers. No one knew who we were, and they had a Willem Scream and the Unseen have built an audience, so there right, was people right. there to see it, and I've got to get. That week, we did the band for a few years, but that week was my favorite because they're like, oh my God, who are you guys? That was really fun. You're like, you know, I was like, and you don't even know that I wrestled in the WWE. And so that was like, I I just wanted to be a person in a band and it was hard. You know, I feel like I have a better handle on being lead until the day I die now, you know, now that time has passed, but it was, that was like a hard thing to navigate. I'm like, you guys, you know, all the fans are also talking to my band and, and buying them drinks and hanging out. And they're like, this is great. Everyone's so nice to us. I'm like, yeah, because I wrestled. That's why they're being <laughs> nice. To yeah. Meanwhile, I'm hiding in the van because I don't want to get punished because there's 50 people here and I can't be like, oh, I got to go. Um, yeah, you can see these four walls. There's nowhere to go. Yeah. yeah. So it was a little, it was just, it was a little weird. It was just weird. I'm glad I did it put out the record ourselves and we did three tours in a van and you know it's like I slept on floors and like that's what I wanted to be doing you know yeah. but it was just like hard to be both at that time well if only then immediately post retirement you would have realized that gardening and hitting tennis balls with a racket not playing tennis or where no, your no, passion I can't. yeah where, <laughs> where your passions may lie do you have any any parting messages for the WWE universe man so I miss everybody. I miss everybody so much. I love being in my little bubble and having my, my, my romanticized routine of normal life, but I really miss the fans and like you graves. I miss, you know, like I miss, uh, I miss people. So I hope that we're all staying safe so we can meet up on the other side. So let's say best case scenario on the other side, mm-hmm. what are the chances we see Lita in the ring again? Um, I'm down. I'm down. Like, I can't say that if I never was in the ring again, I'd feel that something was missing from, from me. But I think that it'd be a fun opportunity and like a good short term goal and just something to add to the resume. But you guys don't need me. Like everybody's doing awesome there. And so I, I can get by just watching how, how great everybody's doing. But if, if the stars aligned, I could be down. 
All right. Well, let's get the stars in line because I miss having my friend around, at least for short term. <laughs> so thank you so much for uh, hanging out today. I appreciate it. Hopefully I didn't bore you to death like all the other podcasts that you refuse to do. <laughs> Exceeded expectations. It's nice to see your face, Graves. Likewise. I will uh, try to do a better job of being a friend and not be a complete stranger and text you once every six months. <laughs> thank you. That was fun. That was way too much fun, but I have to cut myself off because otherwise we would sit and chat about wrestling and punk rock for the next several days. And none of y'all want to hear that. So instead I'll throw a little Zen your way. This comes from Brad Warner, W A R N E R. I'm not going to spoil it. If you're so inclined, Google his name. He's a pretty interesting dude. I just discovered recently. I wish I had discovered earlier. He says, rather than face what really is, we prefer to retreat and compare what we're living through with the way we think it ought to be. Suffering comes from the comparison between the two. That hit me kind of heavy. There's more to it. I'm telling you, Google it, search it, find the whole thing. He's got a book or seven. Uh, Check it out. That's some Zen for you. I'm full of it. Thank you one more time to my good friend, Lita. Thank you for listening. Uh, And I'm sure you love that interview so much that if you haven't already, you want to subscribe. So follow at After the Bell on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and send us your thoughts using the hashtag After the Bell. If you're using Apple Podcasts, send us five stars. It helps spread the word. If you're on an Android, follow ATB on Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio. And you can follow me at WWE Graves. I'll be back next week with more wisdom, more vitriol, and more WWE after the bell.